This is when facts and faith, because I don't know what's going to happen. Facts and faith begin to come together and they conspire to build this sort of spiritual experience. So, Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Super califragilistic expialidocious. I hope I'm saying that right. That was the voice of my friend Mr. Marty C that you heard here at the beginning of this episode, episode number 275, and you are going to be hearing so much more from him in just a moment, but first things first, this here episode is being brought to you by Mary Lynn and Laura. What you may ask the Mary Lynn and Laura do, well, they went to our website, www.soberspeak.com, clicked on that little yellow donate tab, and they made a contribution. So thank you so much, Mary Lynn and Laura, for helping us to keep the virtual lights on. This here episode is coming right out to youans. If you are not in our super secret Facebook group, Go to your Facebook application and search for secret, excuse me, hold on, I can never get this right. Search for Sober Speak Secret Group, ask for admission into the group and we will get you on in there. If you're not following us on Instagram, well, it's a crying shame, go out to Instagram and it is at Sober Speak all one word, and we would love to have you following us out on that particular platform. (laughs) I don't know what I'm saying. Anyway, all right, so this week we're going to get right on into Mr. Marty C. I'm sure most of you heard last week where Marty C. was talking about step four, and guess what? We're going to talk about step four more in depth this week. This is part two of Marty's presentation or interview, I guess, whatever you want to call it, regarding step four. And this one is called Fears and Sex. This is a follow-up to finish out the mechanics of the four-step from that previous episode. Marty refers to himself as a walking conundrum, which I like. And what do we talk about in this one? Well, we talk about the sex inventory, fear, self-reliance, and much more. So ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy this particular episode, and we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of the episode. Enjoy. Okay, everybody, so we are sitting here again with Mr. Marty C. from the Great White North. So, Marty C., to begin, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, give your sobriety date, if you wish, and tell people where you live, please. Hey, John. Thanks so much for having me. My name is Marty Cosgrove. I'm an alcoholic, and I'm a member of the Prince George Group in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, which is just in between the falls and Toronto. But uh, we're actually really well known for uh, uh, how wonderfully beautiful and pristine and clean and, and happy and content we are in our little hamlet. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, and, and I have to ask you, so you have a, a, a sweatshirt on there. I hope I don't, I'm not identifying you too closely or whatever, but what is that? It says, it says Far West. Yeah, no, I think it's just a brand. I think it's a, I just think it's a Mark's Work Warehouse brand. A little shameless. Ah, well, I just gave them a little advertisement then, huh? 
Yeah. Yeah, because as far west in 1970, I guess they were established in 1977 yeah. or something yeah. like that. And, and one thing I do want to ask you before we get started, I know you're a huge hockey fan. Now, I don't know exactly when this is going to be released, but I know you're a, what you call my sharkies. Yeah. My, my, sharkies. Yeah, my sharkies. How are your sharkies doing so far? And by uh, the way, for those who wanna... don't know, they're in San Jose. Yeah. And it, how is it you came to... Uh, root for a San Jose team living up there in Canada again? Well, in answer to your first question, how they're doing, I don't even want to talk about that. So let's go. Okay, back. sorry about that. Well, but, uh, well let's, let's hope. I'm a huge hockey fan. And 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 so what happened was we have this little guy in, in, in from Brantford, Ontario, which is just down the road from my house, named Wayne Gretzky, who became a bit of a phenom in the, in the sports world. <laughs> and I followed this guy with my heart, and I got sober in 1987 when he was a uh, an Edmonton Oiler, and then he moved down to the Los Angeles Kings. And the Los Angeles Kings had no market for hockey. But I went to a lot of AA meetings and I loved hockey. So that combination had me coming home at 10 o'clock at night. And the West Coast time to our time was three hours difference. So I started watching all this West Coast hockey. And in 1991, the league expanded and they brought in a couple of teams and the San Jose Sharks was one of them. And, um, and uh, I love the colors. I lo- they made a, a, I love their logo. They had a bunch of tough Canadian kids on their team, and uh, some of which were from our area. And so I just started watching the San Jose Sharks every night at 1030 at night. I watched all their home games because I got this, uh, the hockey package many, many years ago before it was popular. And uh, I became a huge Sharks fan. And they have been the winningest NHL hockey team. Nobody knows this in the last 30 years until – the last few years the last few years they're an oh. absolute atrocity and it's painful to watch <laughs> however i'm not bailing on them i'm going to stay with them and and that's that's how i became a sharks fan and and to understand like i see the passion with some of you guys with the football uh, uh this is the same with us with hockey um we get up in the morning we play it on the street uh we are we can make sure our kids are on the ice we i build a rink every year you know up at my house and there's hundreds of kids that come out and play on that uh, my guys are playing at 545 tonight all the aa guys if you don't you've never seen that copy of the grapevine there's a copy of a grapevine that says fellowship on ice and that story in there is about all us aa guys who ended up playing <laughs> hockey together and and uh and still are together all these years later 35 years later so you're pointing there are they're going to be playing up uh, up near where you are like yeah. uh, on uh, really yeah i'm going to join so them for, you- i'm going to join them for chicken wings at 7 30 <laughs> they're, they're playing at 5 45 tonight all my AA guys no. that's great that's great are you the only sharks fan that you know of in your area i am i am the only sharks fan around i can't and i don't understand it like i because i'm not kidding they were the best hockey team in the in the <laughs> you know, i know you listeners can't see this but there's a big beautiful shark coming by the screen right now <laughs> chewing on a hockey stick but there's a yeah i'm the only shark fan around here yeah it makes but, me uh, think of that song. You know that old. I used, remember Steve Martin used to say, "This is when the shark bites uh, yeah. with his sharp teeth." That's what yeah. it reminded me of when you were showing me that a second ago. All right, so let's get in here to some uh, uh, AA stuff, if you will. All right, so last time that we got together, we started step four. But this has been the deepest, deepest dive that I have done uh, regarding step four. And I'm glad because I think it's really, really important. I know a lot of people are curious about it because they hear a lot of different ways to do it. They have, like you talked about last time, they have all these various guides out there. Some of them are internal in AA. Some of them uh, are from treatment centers and stuff like that. And then there's uh, what, you know, more of the AA way, I guess. And last time we talked about several things. We talked about basically the mechanics of the four step and you took us through, you didn't get through all of it, but you got through most of the four step and the three columns and then the fourth column and then uh, the spiritual malady. We talked about all that and what it actually means. In fact, I, I think it's so important. I know we covered it in the last time uh, during the last session, but you said that how somebody knows that they have done the third step is what? Well, one of the best indicators is, is that you're sitting down with a piece of paper and a pen and on the top of that piece of paper says grudge list and you're writing down over the past transgressions in your life. And 
you know, nobody made that up, man. Nobody made that up. It says, next we launched on a course of vigorous action. This is right after you've done a third step prayer with somebody who you, who matters to you. Like me, I do it with my guys, right? My, and I, my guys I sponsor do it with their sponsees. Next, we launched out on a course of vigorous action. And that first step of which is a personal house clean. That's telling us right there that now we've got some action to commit to. And, and the first course is house cleaning, which we're gonna, and it says, which many of us had never attempted. And it says, though our decision, the third step decision, was vital and crucial. My God, is it, can you, can you just have any more descriptors that, indicate anything more than that like it's vital and crucial it could have little permanent effect unless it once followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in our cells which had been blocking us it said what uh, it, i think it said a year later is that what it said <laughs> it's going you're pushing it's- I'm, gonna come, I'm coming right through the screen let the listeners know i'm cut i've got my hands around his throat right now hey this is this is the point a lot of us try to make. But it does. It says what? I mean, I'm it joking. It, but once. it says, it says and, and I once. know, and I love you for that because the emphasis needs to be there. And and this thing about you know you're not ready to do a four step and all that kind of stuff. I think a person's not ready to do the four step if they haven't done steps one, two, and three. But if you've taken the first three steps, which means you know understanding or certainly admitting the powerlessness of your situation without a power, and then. And then recognizing that only that power can get you to that reconciliation. And then in the third step, asking that power to help you do that with an understanding or another person of similar mind. And then this. And that's how it is. There's foundational work in steps one, two, and three. That gets us ready to do the program. The program of AA is steps four through nine. That's the program. And your desperation will drive the earnestness with which you go at this. Not time and space and getting your family back and clarity or getting your job back and, and then getting, we don't get well and then start working on getting well. <laughs> like that's right. Not, you and, know. and, and I will tell you that my sponsor, much like we talked about on the last program was like, he was like, no, we're getting much like Dr. Bob did. Yeah. It, 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 we, we got going. Yeah. Uh, Cause I had played around with it in and out for three years and he gave me some deadlines and he said, have the four step done by this time. And then we're going to do the fifth step and we're going to do everything. And there was no lollygagging on it. And, and, and I will, I, I also want to put this out there just because of what you said about steps one, two, and three. And this is my experience. And that is I did steps one, two, and three, I, I guess I would say to the best of my ability, but I, I didn't really have that internal recognition of being hopeless until I went through that fourth and fifth step. And when I went through that fourth and fifth step, I saw it on the back end. And I said, this is absolutely crazy. So at least I was following the process, right? And I was continuing to do it. So uh, even if you're struggling out there with steps one, two, and three, I would still advise going through with steps four and five. It's not going to hurt you. That's a great acknowledgement. That is a great acknowledgement. It's, a, it's the key is to follow directions. It isn't what you get out of the directions. You follow the directions. You awaken. You're, it tells us in the fifth, after the fifth step, this is when we begin to awaken. It's when we begin to awaken is after the fifth step. A couple of things I want to uh, address that we talked to you, that we talked about on the last uh, episode when we were on, and that is, I didn't uh, really ask you about it when we were recording, but the fact that you said you get uh, eighteen to twenty, I think, is what you said, uh, guys, in your basement once a year, or something like that, and and you go through the steps with them, and I think that's, gosh, absolutely fantastic. Uh, uh, Do you do that every year? Yeah, we're right in the middle of one right now. I'm writing inventory right now as we speak, right now. Like I wrote inventory before we got on this call. I I think that's great. I I, I want to throw this out there because we also talked about this on the last podcast, and that is about workshops. And I, you know, I I, for whatever reason, I feel called to to a workshop, and and I've been kind of, uh, 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 you know, I'm waiting for one to come around. But, you know, I have enough of a platform, I guess, to where we could just like sponsor one down here in Texas. But I don't know how to, if anybody's out there and you know how to organize these kind of things, I don't know how to, I mean, I know there there's finances and there's hotels and there's, you know, announcements and all that stuff involved. And I, I know how to get a podcast out, obviously, but I don't know how to do that stuff. So, uh, Marty, maybe you could tell me afterwards or maybe somebody yeah. listening can uh, reach out to me and let me know about that. We get one. Uh, 
uh, uh, we can get one set aside. All right. So we talked about that. We talked about on the last one, we talked about uh, Mr. Brown (laughs) 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 and about how somebody needs the, and the one other thing I want you to cover real quick before we go on again uh, and finish out the grudgeless. And then we talk about hopefully the fears and the sex and we get to that. Uh, You said during our last time together, you said our part versus our mistakes and what the book actually says. You says a lot of people will say, okay, it's time to look at my part, but the book actually says what? Uh, the book says that we're looking for our mistakes and faults. That's what we're seeking out here. We're not, we're not looking for uh, our part in these resentments. We're looking for our mistakes and faults in general. The inventory was ours, not the other man's. So you can't look at a part in something without, you know, and the way we, if, if, if you and I were live right now on, and, and it was a blackboard or whatever, I would draw a great big circle. And in the middle, I put a little dot and I would make it a pie graph and I would draw your part. You know, and so the way it would look, though, is there'd be this little sliver of pie for me and all the rest would be your part. (laughs) And that's the story my ego always wants to tell, because the book says, although we're willing to admit that we're a little bit at fault, we were sure that the other man was wrong. Our book tells us that over and over again, is that that's what our ego will do. It'll admit a little bit of complicity in in the problem, but we really don't believe it. Like, really, we know it was the other person's fault. Well, that's not what we're looking for here. In the last column, it's our mistakes and our faults. And the way we get those things is what I do to that person. Okay, if my mom is the first one on the list, what did I do to my mom? And then the second column is if I'm upset with my mom because she threw me down the stairs or because she called me names. Um, if I'm upset with her for that, it says, well, what did I do to her? Well, I lied to my mom. I stole from my mom, blah, blah, blah. And then it says, putting out a person out of my mind completely. Have I ever done these things? And the second one, well, I don't. Like I've hurt lots of people intentionally and I've called lots of people names and I start writing that down. I call my brother Paul names. I call my sister names. I called this person down the street names and I start writing those things down. That's how that's what the, that inventory evokes that last column. My mistakes, my faults. What did I do? And it's long. It's a lot of writing. Right. I wouldn't have been such this a- is what I, I love about these two episodes that we've done so far is that there's some real, you're giving us some real good specific examples of the type of things that people actually deal with. Okay. All right. So we, so, okay. Do So have we finished up then? Is there anything else that you want to say about the, the grudge list and then the fourth column that goes along with it? Anything else that we may have left off? Just reminding people that when I'm talking at this, it's respite care. We're coming first time through. Okay. As you do this in practice, whether it's annually or or every couple of years or whatever it is that you and your sponsor decide is the best way to approach your recovery program, take the advice and the specific directions out of the book and follow them. And an inventory of this type will change and the magnitude of your growth will be exposed to you. You know, you cannot write a a duplicitous inventory. It's almost impossible if you're growing along spiritual lines. So if you do this a year later, you will want to push a little bit further. You'll want to see a little bit more. And we encourage that. We don't discourage that. We don't want that in the first run through. In the first run through, it's like triage, man. We need to get you to this. We need to get you through this work. We need to get you making amends. We need to get you in the line of fire. You know, so that's what we'll do. And while you're there, we encourage you to go back and okay, go back and take another run at it. Let's see what shows up. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. I'm glad it never ends. All right. So, and by the way, the pages in the book that Marty is referencing, just in case you're you don't have real good uh, a frame of reference where the book is concerned. It starts on page 64 and it goes to page 71 in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's all in the chapter called How It Works, if you want to go look it up. All right, so let's move on then. So that is the, if you listen to the last episode we had with Marty regarding this for, the fourth step, and then you listen to this episode, the first part of it, you'll have a really good base for the for step four. Uh, excuse me, really good base for step four, the grudgeless or resentmentless. All right, now we're going to move on to what it what we call the fear part of the inventory. Uh, Marty, I'll just let you take it from there. It basically goes at the bottom of page 65 and then goes to page 66 uh, and 67. So I'll let you take it from there. Okay, so in doing the inventory, don't blink here. Don't blink. 
This is one of the, again, I want to say one of the most exposing and most powerful things you can, it's one of the things that I can lay down to say to people, you don't think AA works? Watch, watch, I'll, I'll prove it right here. This is where it says that that we begin to come closer to this power. It says in, in this fear in this fear inventory. And the interesting thing about the fear inventory is it's one hundred percent effective. <laughs> and I mean, there's no you can't go wrong with it because it, says we, we reviewed our fears thoroughly. What does that mean? Okay, I'm going to get another piece of paper. And we need to know we need we know that piece of paper and a pen. And I'm going to review. It says we set them on paper, not to be confused with. Not setting them on paper, you know, just using your brain or uh, using your iPhone or, you know, people like their, their iPhones. No, it says we set them on paper. Set them on paper. <laughs> Please. Oh, Lord, we use it. The times have changed, you old geezer. That's what they all say to me. I said, just set them on paper. Please set them on paper. So we reviewed our first We set them on paper. So what does it do? What does that mean? What am I afraid of? What am I afraid of? I'm afraid of heights. I'm afraid of, of companionship. I'm afraid of being alone. I'm afraid of, of uh, success. I'm afraid of failure. Same guy. I'm afraid of heights. I'm afraid of being too far down on the ground. I'm, same guy. What I find out is I'm a, I'm a walking conundrum. I'm a, I am go through this list and it's, I'm afraid of yelling and screaming. I'm afraid of being abandoned. I'm afraid of financial insecurity. I'm afraid of never having enough, never being enough. I'm afraid my children are going to be sick. I'm afraid bad things. Are, and you write them down. You exhaust the list. What are you afraid of? And usually what happens is you got this big, long couple of pages list of fears. That's what it asked us to do. Now the instructions. We asked ourselves why we had them. And when I look at that list and I turn it around and I look at all those fears, why do I have these fears? That's, I'm asked, that's what I'm told to do. Ask myself, why do I have these fears? And then it gives me the answer. It doesn't ask you to go deeply psychological. It doesn't ask you to get all Jungian and Freudian. It, it doesn't ask you to do that. It says, it gives you the answer. It says, wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? Well, what does that mean? And then it goes on to talk about what reliance about God reliance is. And this is where it says in the fourth step, we're starting to learn that, man, maybe there's something to this thing. This thing I just did in step three a couple of days ago is now like this, man, maybe there is something to this. This is when facts and faith begin to come together. The facts, like John, you just said, what you said was powerful, man, when you said I, I did it anyway. I didn't feel that firm in my first three steps, but I did my four-step inventory. This is when facts and faith, because I don't know what's going to happen. Facts and faith begin to come together and they conspire to build this sort of spiritual experience. So here I am in the, in, in the fear inventory, and it says we asked ourselves why we had them. Wasn't it because self-reliance failed? A lot of people in my workshops will say, I don't know what that means. I'll say, okay, well, go back. Go back in your life. Go right back. Do you remember learning to ride a bike? You remember learning to ride a bicycle. Close your eyes and remember. Okay. Now, were you afraid? Well, yes, I was. Are you afraid to ride a bicycle today? No, I am not. Why? Because self-reliance worked. When I asked you to inventory your fears, riding a bike wasn't on there. It wasn't on there. Why? Because self-reliance worked. In these areas that you've put down on paper, self-reliance has failed you utterly. It has failed you. Now. Your, the self-reliance work, that doesn't work, but maybe the guy at a God idea can. And you're just entering the possibility that maybe there's something to this. Now, this is an important piece to recognize is that my work here in the fourth step inventory fear list is almost, almost complete. There's one more piece to do, but I'm going to read it right out of the book for you so that you know. It says... You know, we're introduced to the cipher. Perhaps there's a better way. So the self-reliance, maybe there's a better way. And then we God, we're going to trust God rather than our finite selves. We're in the role to play the, the role that he assigns. We don't apologize for anybody for depending. All faith, all men of faith have courage. They trust their God and never apologize for God. It says, instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. Here's the four-step fear list inventory instructions. We ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be. That's the instruction. What does that look like? I've got this list of paper with all of these fears. And I say, Heavenly Father, God of my understanding, whatever God's out there, I don't even know you yet. I have no idea. I don't even know you yet. Please, God, please take these fears. Take these fears for me and direct me into, into what you would have me be. That's the four-step inventory, fear inventory instructions. And then it says, and this is what I meant when I'll challenge it. It says, at once we commence to outgrow fear. 
It doesn't say the fears disappear. It doesn't say they go poof and they're not there. You're still sitting in the same seat. You just said the prayer in and you got the thing in your hand, right? But it's at once we commence to outgrow fear. How do I know that that's true? Because only 100% of the time I have asked the guys I work with to duplicate their fear list three months later, and it's nowhere near the same. Nowhere near the same. They can't duplicate it. Now, you believe you're control. you people who get an anxiety medication and doctors and all that kind of stuff. You, oh, I'm not saying none of this stuff's real. I am saying all the treatment you get for this unsettled world we live in. And you put it down on paper, you ask God to remove it, and then I want you to hold that piece of paper up three months later, see if it's the same. They're, these these fears are owning you. And when these guys, one of my favorite guys of all that I sponsor, Johnny, is, is a guy's named Kevin. He's, he's an amazing human being who, who feared dogs his every day. He has no issues with resentment and sex conduct. It's fear that eats his lunch. And I say to him, I beg of him, please take these things to this God. And he has, and he has commenced to outgrow fear. It, he becomes bigger than the fear. He becomes, he outgrows it. It doesn't disappear. He just is bigger than it. If they come, the fear of his child being ill or something like that, it doesn't consume him anymore. He's bigger than it. Why? He has power. He has this power. We don't apologize for this power. We don't make uh, excuses for this power. We don't even have to try to explain it to somebody else. We at once commence to outgrow fear. I think that that is phenomenal. And like I said, can I prove that Alcoholics Anonymous works? I sure can here. I sure can here. I'm an, I'm an, an addictions therapist is what I do. And most of my work is spent running cognitive programs for people with anxiety and depression. That's what I do. And I offer up cognitive solutions to, to anxiety and depression. And almost invariably, almost invariably, the human condition is to try to manage things themselves. We give them all kinds of tools and how to manage their anxieties. Never be, not in clinical therapy do we ever say to them, let go. That is not a clinical sort of term we <laughs> let go. But the fact is, is, when I've said to people before, put them on a piece of paper. If you believe in God, and some of them do, if you believe in a God, test your faith with this piece of paper and ask God to remove these fears. See what happens. If they're still there three months from now, I'll give you your money back. That's what I, you can have your money back. Like, and they come back and go, oh, my God, that's gone. And it's like. Same with the people in AA. Like I say, you know, you, 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 so many people. And I understand this because I lived this way for so long. I would have low-grade anxiety before my feet even hit the floor in the morning. I would wake up, whether it was the alarm, and I would have this low-grade butterflies in my stomach, anxiety, almost nausea, before my feet would hit the floor because of all that had to take place today. Because I didn't have a 12-step program. I didn't have a relationship with this power that was there in all times. I had a Bush League pinch hitter God that showed up through the day when I caused trouble. But this, this thing gets you connected in the moment, in the now, and you can be free. This is the one when I say, you can be free. So that's it. That's it for the fear. The specific directions are that we put them down on paper. We ask God why we had them. And then we ask God to remove them. Those are these specific instructions around fears. And then you move on to the next piece. You don't hang around there and wait for anything to happen. You just keep going. All right. So then, and it's always kind of a, a joke, I guess, uh, with, uh, yeah, I think it actually charts on page 68. I'm not looking at it right now, but the, uh, the, 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 uh, <laughs> the sex inventory Bunch of uh, begins. Uh, I, there, a lot of it's on page sixty nine. People get a chuckle out of that, but let's. Yeah. I mean, but but it's serious stuff, right? Uh, you know, um, let's talk about the sex inventory. How you view it? I, I've I've heard a lot of people not only throw you know the the physical sex piece into this, but, you know, kind of relationships, uh, maybe anything that didn't fall under the resentment or the fear part. And some people you can put in here. So talk to me about the sex inventory, what you think is important, how you take guys through it and kind of the mechanics of this as well. Okay. Again, man, we're given such specific directions, right? The only direction we're not really given us on who to look at. And uh, uh, so what I do with my guys um, is, is because I want to be thorough. And, and it, again, it refer to the fact that it's thoroughness and honesty that is, is, is the dictates of the work I'm doing. Is I'll ask the guys to go right back to that place where their little heart fluttered. And they say, well, go way back. First girlfriend, whatever. Go way back there and start there. And just, just you know, just 
jot a little thing down there about what what that little friendship or relationship was like and what happened and and where it went and and then we're gonna we're gonna subject all the relations from that point to this to this test and uh and that's that's how i that's how i do it john and and a lot of guys don't understand and i put it like this this is how it goes i'm in grade two uh i'm six years old um i'm a pretty normal kid i think by all <laughs> by all alcoholism standards but <laughs> i'm six and i got this teacher and she is beautiful i mean she's beautiful <laughs> the, guy, the public can't see me but you know what i'm saying she's beautiful yeah. and i would I would sit there and ogle all day, right? Every day. I loved her. Johnny, I, I tell you, man, I, I loved her. And and I, all the kids were going out to play, and I'd bring her an apple. And I'd, you know, remember the chalk brushes and stuff? And and I'd go out. Yeah. And I'd do all her chalk brushes, chalk brushes for her. And I'd come in and ask her if she needed any more help. I loved her. Well, that uh, s- school year ended, and the summer came and passed, and she came back. And her name wasn't, well, her name was Miss N, but her she came back. Her name was Mrs. K. The bitch cheated on me. You know, she she got married that summer. Now, now, outside of the the context of jest, I really felt that way. But didn't she? Now, here's the question. Did she not know how much I loved her? Did she not know how much I cared? You know, that never changed in me till like. Well, still there. (laughs) I still think magically. I think think my partner should know what I think or what I feel. That never changed. Now, how does this come up in inventory? Well, I got to tell you, she hurt me. She cheated on me. She hurt me. Now, does that mean that that the – no, but I'm looking inside me, and I'm going, where did I go with that? I don't trust women. I don't trust, you know, I'm not going to kiss anybody's ass anymore. I'm not going to be nice anymore. That doesn't work, you know. Uh, And the whole thing doesn't, didn't she know? Doesn't it matter? My feelings didn't matter. She didn't even know my feelings. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I got a lot of juice out of that inventory. And people, when I tell people that, they go, man, that's stretching. I says, no, not for me, it's not. I got more truth out of that inventory than I did that sort of array of women that I, uh, 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 gently partnered with over the you know in my drinking years like there was no there was no connection there at all to draw from you know this this i remember being exposed as a six-year-old boy in in my sex conduct you know and, and it wasn't sexual but it was like this relationship thing this heart thing so that's what i'm interested in when i'm working with my guys so what we do is we take each guy we i ask them again do a list of names Go back. Just try to remember the names. I give them a day or so, you know, a day or two. Just get, just go back and write down some names. And and all a lot of guys are cowboys, right? They come back. I can't remember all the chicks that I. <laughs> they're cowboys, and I say, well, you shouldn't have been such a skank then, because you have to write them all down. Those are the guys that really make work. Those guys who still <laughs> are still marginalizing women. Like so, I get them to write a lot. And 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 in your inventory, I mean, a lot of people think the resentment's got a lot of context to it and, and a lot of content, but. This is the one you'll be doing most writing. This is the place you'll do most writing. So you put these names down, and then it goes like here. We look at this. We're gonna we're gonna look at this these relationships this way. It says we reviewed our contact over the your conduct over the years past. So this goes back to it says we reviewed our fears fears thoroughly. We're gonna get paper and we're gonna write it down. It says where have I been selfish, dishonest, and considerate. So I take each relation and I ask that question: Where had I been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? You know, even in the case that I gave you, that six-year-old case, if I'm really, really examining it, and I have, I look at it and I go, I was selfish because uh, nobody else knew what I was thinking. I was dishonest because I was trying to con her and manipulate her. And, 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 and then I was inconsiderate because I never shared with her how I felt. Now, people would laugh and say, well, you're six. You know, it's not like you guys were going to sail off into the sun. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about me. It's just me. It's my experience. That didn't change at seven and 10 and 16 and 26. That didn't change, you know? So there it is. So whom had I hurt? Well, certainly I was hurt there and uh, I can't think of anybody else at that point, but did I unjustify around jealousy, suspicion, bitterness? No, I did not. Where was I at fault? What should I have done instead? Well, in this case, I should, one of the things I said, what should I have done instead? Uh, I'm going to, I should have expressed my feelings to the individual. Simple. Mm-hmm. Now, if I don't get anything else out of that inventory, isn't that something? What should mm-hmm. I have done instead? I should have expressed my feelings. And we got it down on paper and we looked at it. So if anybody says they're not, this isn't a place for paper. This is just in my head. No, it says we got it down on paper. 
So this is what this is this that's the inventory. That's exactly what we do with each relation. So I go through all the list right up until current. And I subject each relation to these questions. And then it says, we got it down on paper, looked at it. And this way, we try to shape a sane and sound ideal. Do you know what that means? Do you, do, you, do you have an experience with that? If you hear any of us in our lineage around Mark or anybody else talking about a sane sex ideal or a sound sex ideal, oftentimes you can ask them to pull it out of their pocket. The guys I sponsor can hold it up to you and show you. If you talk mm. about the sex conduct, they'll show you their ideal. Why? Because it's in their wallet. And here's what happens. It's, I just said it to you. It says, uh, it says, what could I have done instead? In that particular case, I could have expressed my thoughts and my feelings. I could have expressed them openly. My saying is sound ideal is being shaped. Is in my future relationships, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm bringing to the table. I'm only going to be in a relationship where I'm able to share my thoughts and my feelings openly. And that becomes your ideal. You're not going to subject yourself to anything less than that. If somebody hampers in on that or cordons in on that, then then that's not the relationship for me. And I can, I can begin or end relationships based on my ideal. I can participate in them wholly or, or, or as minimally as I want based on my ideal. But my ideal is God-given. Here it says, we tried to shape it's a sane and sound ideal for our futures. We subject each relation to this test. Was it selfish or not? Every single relationship I have ever been in, I was not able to say not selfish. I'm 100p, 100%. I find that unbelievable. Because coming out of some of those relationships, I'd have told you it was completely the opposite. Right. I, and, and it, lie detector test. Yeah, you too? Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I'd have told you total opposite. You know, that it, it, it was not me, not me. And then it says, we ask God to mold our ideas because this is the this is the instructions and help us to live up to them. I can't do it on my own. Those ideals come out of my inventory, but I have to recognize that me managing it or me being the manager of those ideals is not going to work. I have to ask God to help me live up to those ideals. And we remember <coughs> our sex powers God given, therefore neither are good. They're good, neither to be used lightly or selfishly, nor to be despised and loathed. And then it says we got to be willing to grow towards this sort of objective. So these ideals that come as a result of simply me flipping it and saying, what could I have done instead? That's where my ideals come from. If a relationship broke up because I'm a lying scoundrel, I, I cheat, I, I lie, and I and so I write down, what could I have done instead? I could have been forthright and honest. I could have had fidelity. I could have been loyal in my relationship. That's what's written on my, my, my ideal card. And I look at that and I think, holy shit, I can't live up to that. And it's like, <laughs> well, you don't have to. You have to ask God to help you live up to that. Mm -hmm. And let's see what happens. And then it goes on to tell us, it's one of the two places in the book that says we're sure to get drunk. If we don't change our ways in this regard and we're not sorry for the way we behave and then we're behaving like scoundrels and we're not sorry here we're sure to get drunk and it says we're not just making that stuff up that's born out of experience and these are men these are men that fidelity you know was a, a high moral um there was a high moral sort of um slap for that and and you didn't do that if you were a cheat man it was bad news and so they all of these guys had this in their inventory and, and it was very important to them and i like the way they did this as long as we stick to the fidelity of these questions the production that comes out of our inventory in nineteen didn't matter was written in 1939 the production that comes out of this inventory now from for marty cosgrove is huge it's huge huge i've only done 25 or 30 inventories uh, and they're they're getting better because they're worse <laughs> or i don't even know how to rephrase that they're worse because i'm getting better at it <laughs> I, you, you understand what i'm saying like my my, my scrutiny yeah. and i am still i like i love my life i still love life i'm, I'm still involved in but my scrutiny feels divine it's not my own moral code or something that I'm going at it with and I get a pass on stuff. My scrutiny seems more more has more divinity to it. You know, when it's asked earlier, it says when I just ask God what God would have me be. You know, when I in the fear inventory I'm asking, God show me what you would have me be. I almost think that there's a lean in here. Because my area of life around this area, my sex conduct, is very selfish. You know, and I think it's my life. You know, sure I won't cheat on my wife. But everything else is up for debate, flirtatiousness and game playing. And four years ago, five years ago, my wife said to me, why do you always got to ask the waitress's name when it's a female? I said, what? 
we're sitting out for dinner and, and the waitress comes up and you're like, oh, hey, what, what's your name? She said, you never do that with male waiter, waiters. Mm. You never do that. And I thought, oh, my God, did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, bitterness, or suspicion? That's never showed up. We've been together for 30 years. That's never showed up. How did that not show up? You know? So, you know, I learn more. I do more. I learn more. And and from this inventory, now, when we get to the, 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 the last part of that sex conduct with my, with my brothers, especially, I say to them, I will open up in, in, in a fifth step when I'm talking about a fifth step. I will open it up very quickly and, and, and ask them if there's anything that they're going to keep back from me. But at the end of this inventory, at the end of this, this sex inventory, I ask them to put down anything they think belongs there. And that's when a lot of guys these days will talk to me about internet porn and marginalizing women. You know, their names, like there'll be, if there was hookers or all that kind of stuff, that stuff comes up. Like that stuff comes up in their inventory and it's, but, uh, there are conversations that often need to come out of this because underneath all of that, I got four daughters. I have four daughters. God has a sense of humor. You know, I have four daughters and I say to these guys, those girls on the stage and those girls down on the Barton street and in, in, in Hamilton, which is an area where, you know, a lot of drug users are down there hooking and those are somebody's kids, man. And if you're not down there to help, then you're going in complete contradiction to the life that you've, you've chosen. And then you're not going to fare well here. You know, it's just not going to go well. You can keep doing it if you like, it's just not going to go well. But that's, that's where I try to get the conversation going about the pornography and about the, uh, you know, sex for service or hire or that kind of stuff. And, there's so many things out there right now, John. I got a young guy just explained to me a couple of years ago what swipe right means, you know, and he just, who knew? Who knew you could just open up an Apple iPhone and just swipe right and you got a date for that night? Remember the days where we had to get up the courage to ask somebody oh, else? Right. Puke, almost puke. <laughs> like, have to get a piece of us to go, and now you just like to swipe right. <laughs> <laughs> crazy stuff these are different times i didn't know that i'm gonna have to do a little research there <laughs> all the young all the young guys teach me all my corruption <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so that's it in the inventory guys and in, in, in our in our book says hey there it is you know don't 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 be scared of it. It's, 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 it's more inventory. It's more information about you. It's your favorite subject. It's like, don't be afraid of it. You know, uh, go for it. And, uh, and, and there's no, there's no wrong way to do it. There's just like to do it or not to do it. And you never are allowed to have an opinion on the fourth step if you haven't done it. And that is one of the rules of my little circle. Uh, no more. You're not allowed to have an opinion on a fourth step if you haven't done it. Well, right. I'm tired of hearing people scare other people from doing it or uh, even attempt to do that and make it something that's not. Yeah, it's the boogeyman, isn't it? It's not that yeah. bad of a boogeyman. It seems like it's uh, going to be um, incredibly arduous and hard and stuff, but uh, it's really not as bad as it looks. No. No. All right, Marty, listen, this has been both of these episodes. I mean, this is the deepest dive. Like I said, I've taken on a four step and I know you have even more. If we wanted to go. <laughs> yeah, I can look at it with the clock. This is fantastic. I really, really have appreciated your time here. I know all the listeners are going to enjoy it as well. Uh, once again, I'm going to read from page 164. From the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous to close us out. And the reason I'm talking slow is because I'm getting to page 164. Okay, here we go. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us we shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit and you'll surely meet some of us like me and Marty C as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. As always, we do not want you sharing your gossip, but we would love for you to pause your device and share that episode with a friend or family member. It may be just what they need today. 
Thank you again, Mr. Marty C. I really, really uh, enjoy spending time together with you. And I'm sure the Sober Speak listeners are going to get a lot out of the last, not only that episode, but the one before this and all your other episodes that you have been on Sober Speak. Appreciate you. Laura writes in and Laura says, hi, John, I would like to join the secret Facebook group. What do I do? Love you and your program. So stay different, so different and funny, Laura G. Well, Laura, oh gosh, I think I talked about this on the beginning of the episode today and I hate to uh, pound it in with everybody, but go to, uh, go to Facebook, search for secret, uh, excuse me, sober speak secret group and ask for admission into the secret secret Facebook group and we will get you on in there. I had somebody else actually on Instagram write me and say, hey, can private groups be seen uh, by other fellow or if you're in it, can other people see it? And I'm not an expert on Facebook. You may want to Google that. But my understanding is that once you're in there, that only the people who are in the group can see that you are actually in that group. So, but you may want to Google that just to be on the safe side or go to the Facebook website and ask them uh, just to be safe. Okay. Terry writes in and Terry says, Hey, John, I know your podcast touched so many and I know how much work you put into it. Your service to the AA community is amazing. I am filled with gratitude every time I'm listen. I listen. So thank you. So tell Anonymous, uh, <laughs> I know what she's talking about here. She says, "So tell anonymous the I I had a a voicemail that came in I don't know a month or two ago, something like that now, and I posted it on the group and I responded to it. Mister Anonymous did not really like my style. Uh, he thought I was detracting from the AA message and all that kind of good stuff. And hey, I, I'm fine with that. Everybody has, you know, it's like chocolate and vanilla. Everybody's got their own taste. But anyway, so she's replying to that and she says, tell Anonymous from New York <laughs> to take a different kind of flying leap. <laughs> That's what she says. Yours in total gratitude, Terry. Well, thank you, Terry. I appreciate that. And uh, <laughs> if I knew who Anonymous was, I would, you know, like uh, respond to him. But he, he didn't leave any sort of uh, contact information. Katie writes in and Katie says, and the subject line was transparency. And she says, uh, first of all, John, Happy New Year. She wrote this a couple weeks ago. And she says, second... I've wondered the story behind the host of the podcast I've listened to for years. Talking about me. She says, thank you so much for sharing a little of yours. The relationship you were able to transform with your mother shows just how recovery works. You loved her exactly where she was. And your God light shined for all to see. Keep up the great work and thank you for all you do. The share was perfect, and I will always remember this and hope to use your experience, strength, and hope with others one day. Thanks again, Katie. Well, thank you, Katie. Just in case you're listening to this and you don't know what she's talking about, uh, I, I published a basically my share, or part of it at least, uh, uh, back at the uh, end of uh, December. And uh, Katie, I appreciate you writing in and saying those things. Wes writes in and Wes says, hi, John, thank you for this, for your service. I was in the program for about eight months. I had a slip and now I'm back. I'll have 60 days sobriety on January 5th. I want to thank you. I want to thank you for what you and Brad. So he's talking about my friend Brad here in the area who is very, generous with his time and resources and everything, reaching out to people who, 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 um, reach out to me and, uh, or reach out to sober speak, I should say. And, uh, he was working with Wes somewhat. And, uh, anyway, he says, um, I want to thank you and Brad for what you have done. 
and hope y'all are doing well. I lost Brad's number. If you could at least let him know that I had appreciated what he had done. I have a sponsor and I plan to keep this life going. Thanks again, Wes. Well, as you know, Wes, I got you and Brad in touch and God bless you. I'm glad you are on the right path, Mr. Wes. Thank you very much for listening and, and I'm, I'm thank you for the update. Elizabeth writes in and Elizabeth says, Hi, John, your podcast, Sober Speak, has been my companion for years now. So we've been companions together, Miss Elizabeth. She says, thank you for your service. Not only are you helping listeners like me, you're also helping your guests. I can hear the healing taking place as people share. Last night I cried while I was listening to Brian P's story about tending to his dying father. It was extremely touching. I'm an Al-Anon and I recommend your podcast to all of my 12-step friends. In a recent episode, recent to me as I listened to your shows out of order, you responded to a disgruntled voicemail. Oh, so she's talking about the same voicemail that uh, Terry was talking about just a second ago. Anyway, you responded to a disgruntled voicemail with such grace. It was someone complaining that you needed to speak less... (laughs) (laughs) that you needed to speak less on the show. And then (laughs) Elizabeth says, I couldn't disagree more. Well, thank you, Elizabeth. She says, having your kindness and joy makes the podcast a safe place to land. It's like having coffee with a recovered friend. That's interesting, uh, Elizabeth, because a lot of times uh, that you say that, because a lot of times when I'm starting out uh, an interview with somebody, they're asking, what are we going to do here, right? If they've never, some, sometimes they've never listened to the podcast, they don't know exactly what's going on in an interview format and all that kind of stuff. And and so they say, what are we going to do here? And I said, just look at it this way. We're just sitting down, we're having a cup of coffee, Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, wherever we're having a cup of coffee. And, you know, I'm just asking you about your story. That's all it is. So it's interesting that you say it like that, Elizabeth, but thank you. Um, she says, please keep doing what you're doing. This is God's work. And then she says, you mentioned that you would be willing to help the grumpy goose (laughs) start his own podcast. That was great. Wishing you all the best, Elizabeth B. Grumpy goose. (laughs) I don't think I've ever quite heard that one before, but I like it. I like it a lot, Elizabeth B. Thank you for writing in. All right, everybody. That is a wrap on another episode. This here episode number 275 of Sober Speak. I take this one week at a time. I hope to be back next week, but you never know. Uh, if not, if this is my last episode, I love you guys. Thanks for listening all this time. Uh, but I doubt it'll be my last episode. So what do I always say at the end? Uh, keep coming back. It works if you work. And may God be bless you and keep you until then much love peace uh and have a safe and sober day wherever you are love you